Well, it was nice to score some goals tonight. Uh, you know, I think our group got rewarded for, for keeping uh, the relentless pressure on on Colorado that I think we've been putting on them for three games. You know, both both physically and and with uh, with the puck. So we just got to continue to do that and and, and hope that uh, that we can still you know we, we can stick enough pucks in the net every night to win. Shove it in. They're a highly skilled team, and, and like I've said before, if we're not uh, detailed and we don't execute, they have the ability to swamp us like they did in game one, and, and like they did in the Tahoe game, and like they've done, you know, at other points. Things got testy. This question this morning comes from Justin Emerson, the Las Vegas Sun. Hey Mark, you guys have played pretty well over the last two games, came out with a win in one of them. So I guess how much of the game plan for game four is kind of stay the course and do what you've been doing and how much of that is is, is knowing that uh, that you guys do need, uh, I don't know, sorry, I guess that how much um, did you, wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you, sorry, sorry. Just crushed my dreams. Boom, sadness, that's the one. Oh, poor Justin Emerson. Some actual news uh, within the Golden Knights Avalanche series. Nazem Kadri, who uh, got an eight-game suspension for a hit in round one, uh, that suspension has been upheld. There was a third party. They appeal to a third party because you the first appeal goes to Gary Bettman, which seems weird, but then the player can appeal to a third party. The third party has upheld that eight-game suspension, which means... Nazem Kadri is not able to come back until Game 7 of this series. Had they reduced it, he could have played in Game 6. Hell, he could have played tonight, honestly, had they reduced it down to just a six-game suspension. But Nazem Kadri will not be able to play until Game 7 if this series does, in fact, go to seven games, which that would be quite the storyline if this does go to seven and Nazem Kadri gets to come into the lineup and help the Golden Knights or help the Avalanche win or help the Avalanche lose in Game 7. Yeah, I've said... You know, I've talked about this. I've stopped wondering how much, how many guys, uh, games guys are going to get, when appeals will be, you know, lessened or not. I just kind of stopped even wondering what they're going to do. I'm, I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a little surprised uh, he didn't reduce it, uh, given what you see from other suspensions and what other guys get, and now you know appeals and everything. But, but they didn't reduce it. So if there's a seven, he'll be in there. It would be interesting, you know, because I think they are missing him on the second line and. They come back for Game 7, and they need someone to step up. He's a good player, uh, so that would be fascinating to see. I mean, they'd obviously play him if it got to Game 7. Um, that would be interesting to see what he could do after being out that long. Yeah, you're definitely playing him because it's not even. It's not like uh, an injury where is the guy 100% no, or anything no. like that. It's, I mean, I, he should be 100%. He hasn't played in a long time, so should be fine. So if, they, if this goes to 7, he's absolutely going to be in there, and it'll be... A fascinating storyline to follow because the the Golden Knights have benefited here. I mean, they've played the Avalanche for four games, and they'll get to play them for at least six without Nazem Kadri in the lineup, which is pretty helpful. Now, outside of this series, um, we've seen something actually similar that we saw inside of this series. Bruce Cassidy is the head coach of the Boston Bruins, and Bruce Cassidy is not exactly thrilled with the officiating. Here is Bruce Cassidy 
talking yesterday after the Bruins Islanders game. Um, Jared's given me a hold on a second finger because he was definitely not paying attention to me saying Bruce Cassidy a hundred times to see if he would be ready to play this audio. I got it. But here's Bruce Cassidy yesterday after the Bruins and Islanders game. Well, Jimmy, I think what happens, okay, so this is my take on we're playing a team that has, uh, you know, very respected management coaching staff. They won a Stanley Cup. So, but I think they sell a narrative over there that um, it's more like the New York Saints, you know, not the New York Islanders that, you know, they play hard and they play the right way. But I, I feel we're the same way. And the calls, the exact calls that are getting called on us um, do not get called on them. So, it, and, and I don't know why. These are very good officials. They're, they're, they're at this point in the season for a reason. You've got continuous high sticks every game, the exact same high sticks. Uh, you know, Bergie or Nelson behind the net, the one that comes up on Smith. Marshy got called for that in game one. Uh, I could go on and on. Wagner the other day in front of the net. You know, maybe we need to sell them more flop, but that's not us. Um, you just hope they'd see them. I mean, the same calls go against us. So it's not like I'm sitting there going, well, every call against us sucks. It's not true. It's just the end of the day, the similar plays, they need to be penalized on those plays. But like I said, I think they've sold in a great job selling that narrative that, you know, they're clean. They're the New York Saints. By the way, Ed, I hope you caught that there, that the Boston Bruins have a guy nicknamed Marchie as well. Yeah. Brad well, Marchand. Marchie Darchie do. Hopefully we get the Bruins Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup Finals so oh, we can have Marchie against Twitter will explode with Marchies. <laughs> we won't know which yeah, Marchie it is. H- hashtag Wait. Marchie. Wait. Which Marchie? Are you talking about my Marchie or are you talking about your Marchie? What if it's because it's the Stanley Cup Finals and they all want to be like really uh, like you know pleasant to each other that I like can mix them up and have both Marchies on the same Zoom feed? Oh. And then you don't you got to say Marchie Boston, Marchie <laughs> Vegas. Like you, you you'd have to like with the Mark Stone, Mark Stone, Mark Andre Fleury. That Mark. would be cool if they're both both in the same room, the old Marchies. Mark. So aside from Boston also having a Marchie, um, I'm curious. What are your thoughts? Because we we when we get to the playoffs, it happened in the NBA too. It seems like we get more coach complaints about officiating, and it seems like it's a it's a tactical answer. It's a it's a strategy to say, hey, I'm going to criticize the officiating, so hopefully I get a more favorable whistle in the next game. Like, what do you make of that strategy? Because we saw Pete DeBoer do it, and now we're seeing Bruce Cassidy yeah. do it. Exactly what you said. I mean, and and especially it's the playoffs, and then they're down in the series when they say it. You know, they're trying to get any kind of edge they can. DeBoer, I think it worked out for him. We'll see in game six if it works out for Boston when they go have to go back to the Islanders. But you're doing everything you can in the playoffs, especially when you're down in the series to get some kind of edge. So this is what he was doing. That's what DeBoer was doing. Worked out for DeBoer. We'll see if it works out. You know, we'll see if uh, uh, they get some calls, uh, you know, uh, it would be tomorrow for game six. So, yeah, I'm not. none of this surprises you. I mean, you know, it's and it's such a backhanded compliment. Well, you know, that staff over there won a Stanley Cup. You know, they're a great staff. But, of course, they get all the calls because they promote themselves as being saints. So I love the backhand compliments to these staffs. Pete DeBoer didn't get fined, right? No, he did not oh, get fined. See, DeBoer, DeBoer nailed this because Bruce Cassidy got a $25,000 fine for what he what? said. Because you, you can't criticize officiating. You're going to get fined automatically. Right. But right. Pete DeBoer, I mean, this is unbelievable by DeBoer because – he did not criticize officiating. He criticized. He the other criticized team. the Avalanche for yeah. He criticized the Avalanche. Like that is phenomenal by Pete DeBoer. Like that is because he doesn't. He does like because as a coach, you do this knowing you're going to get fined, and basically you say, "All right, I'm going to take this fine because it's going to help our team win a game, and probably sure. the organization might help out and pay it." But 
Pete DeBoer absolutely crushed this because he got the result he wanted. Because fun fact, first two games, the Golden Knights spent 20 minutes and 14 seconds killing penalties. The last two, they've spent five minutes and 30 seconds. So he got the result he wanted and didn't even have to pay the fine that Bruce Cassidy is going to have to pay. Yeah, it was brilliant by DeBoer, and I'm sure... You know, he's a smart guy that he knew, you know, where, where the line was that he could go over. I Look, I don't know if, I mean, if he really, really wanted to, if it's 25000 he would go after the officials. I don't think that would play a big part in what he wanted to do. I mean, it worked out for him. Uh, but I think if he wanted to go after the officials, knowing he's, these guys know what the fine's going to be, and they can all pay it. Uh, but, yeah, good for him that he was able to make a comment that essentially, as Ben said, has worked out for them, and he still didn't have to give up twenty five grand. Oh, excellent work. Now, Looking ahead a little bit, because the NHL has gotten special permission now uh, from Canada's government, NHL teams next round, whoever is playing the Canadians, either the Golden Knights or Avalanche, they will be able to travel into Canada without having to quarantine for seven days, which is what everybody else does. There's going to be a special exception for the NHL. Um I just find it funny that hockey is like one of the things that Canada would say, yep. That's important enough that we will lift our quarantine restrictions and you guys can travel in without having to sit out for seven days. Yeah, this is going to be, Ben and I were talking about this yesterday, where let's say let's say it's the Golden Knights in Montreal. Uh, and I don't know how many people are back in Montreal. Not, not very many, obviously. I mean, I don't know if it's a couple thousand or whatever. What a weird series that would be going from T-Mobile into Montreal and in terms of just atmosphere. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be so strange to go from the first two games of T-Mobile, which would be insane with 18,000-plus going crazy, and then flying into Canada. Obviously, I think it's just the traveling party that can go in. I don't think media is going to be able to go in. I think it's just specifically the traveling party, high pro- protocols, the daily testing, your, 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 your back shut in your room. There's no loosening of anything in Canada. And then going to arena with, I don't know what the atmosphere, it wouldn't be much at all. That's a strange series to go back and forth between that. Do you know, would you be able to go? No, we're thinking not. We're, we're, we haven't been told that, but we're just thinking there's just no way yeah. they'd let us come in without quarantine. I don't, I mean, we heard the other night it's traveling party, which would be, you know, the players, the coaches, some PR people, whoever's been on the traveling par- party all year, they would have to return to that. And, and that's what they would go with. So no, we'd be kind of at home watching on TV, but um yeah, I just think it's I think it's strange. I mean, the players, some, you know, if they've been vaccinated to a certain amount of degree, they've been, you know, the loosened restrictions. Well, not when they go into Canada. It'll be right <laughs> back to you're all in your rooms and you're eating out of boxes and that's what's going to happen. So whatever team goes, Colorado or Vegas, because Colorado does have a good crowd at Ball Arena, not as many people, but it's loud. I mean, they're a really good crowd. They know hockey. I mean, it's really good hot crowd. But then to go into Montreal, that could really favor – the Canadians, they've been doing that. They've been playing in that kind of atmosphere. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. Can't the Review Journal send you to Canada right now, get your seven days out of the way, and then you just hang around for games three and four of that series? Well, they I want so the, badly to do the show with you while you're quarantining in a Canadian they, hotel room. They, they could, but the problem is going to be with that question. If it took us that long to get to Denver last night, <laughs> the, with the plane rides, I'd probably have to stop seventeen times when we finally get there in a week. So I'd be late on my quarantine. Actually, not you. Send Adam Hill. Just send Adam Hill oh, to just—he's yeah. not allowed in the in the uh, country of Canada. Yeah. Just send him. Where, where? 
whatever those types of assignments come up, don't they wind up in Adam Hill's lap anyway? Well, he's he's you probably guys know this. He's leaving for a little vacation. He takes the same vacation pretty much every year. Uh, he's leaving this week, uh, headed down to Cabo. I want Adam Hill covering the Montreal Canadiens from Cabo in a pool. So, because I do believe, I do believe, zoom, if I'm not mistaken, a, he's at a pool bar. Yes, <laughs> yes I do no believe, shirt. and I'm not mistaken on this. I asked him the other day. Adam Hill at one point was interviewing George McPhee from a pool in Cabo. So <laughs> it's not a big jump to where he would be. He would be covering the Montreal series. Wait a minute, Adam Hill is living my best life. <laughs> yes, wasn't Sean McVay and Matt Stafford. Yep. Was that Cabo? Yep. Okay, they yeah. saw each other yes, at Cabo. Yes. And they were, and like, they were yep. like, you know, it'd be great if I came and played. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's yes. trade for him. Uh, we should do that. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. All right, I just send somebody. Come on, Review Journal. Get it together. Send somebody to Canada right now. Well, you got three people in Denver. You don't need all three. Why don't you just go to Canada now so you can quarantine well, and get that out of the way? It must be, it must be Dave or I because it appears we have the same room. <laughs> all right. Coming up next. It'll be Bischoff's briefs as we take a look at the players that have left UNLV because they have now all found a home. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Bischoff's briefs. You know what happened last month without anybody noticing? This is for real. Webster's Dictionary expanded the definition of the word literally to include the way it's commonly misused. Bischoff's brief. So the thing is, we no longer have a word in the English language that means literally. It literally doesn't have a synonym. Bischoff's briefs. So we're going to have to find the Latin word for it and use it. But see, I don't know any Latin. Bischoff's briefs. So when I say that I am literally going to set fire to this building with you in it, you don't know if I'm speaking figuratively or literally. So Nick Blake is transferring to Pacific. Last month, he mutually parted ways with UNLV, whatever that means. We did have Mike Ramallah on last week who said he talked to Kevin Kruger, who mentioned that there were some on and off court reasons that doesn't really clear anything up at all other than to suggest there was some off-court problems with Nick Blake, which the sort of interesting question you can draw from that is if there's off-court issues that are enough for UNLV to move on from him, what are those that Pacific is perfectly fine with taking him on, right? Like how big of a deal is it if another school is willing to take him on less than a month later? Nick Blake, definitely the strangest of the off-season transfers in or out for UNLV. Like everyone else, you can kind of make sense of what happened, whether it's Caleb Grill following TJ Otzelberger or guys transferring in from Big 12 schools that wanted more playing time, or even Bryce Hamilton, who um, probably didn't get great news from the NBA or power conference teams and came back to UNLV, right? But Nick Blake, mutually parting ways, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Ending up at Pacific down a level didn't make a lot of sense when he was one of the guys with the most potential looking ahead for UNLV basketball. It's very strange with what happened and Nick Blake this offseason. I don't know if we'll ever get an actual answer as to what happened with Nick Blake this offseason. But if we take a look at the outgoing transfers for UNLV, everybody has found a home. David Jenkins to Utah. Caleb Grill to Iowa State. Mbake Zhang to Central Florida. Moses Wood to Portland. Donovan Yap to Fresno State. Nick Blake to Pacific. Devin Tillis to UC Irvine. Eduardo Delcadia to Nichols State. 
Jalen Martinez to UC Riverside, and Isaac Lindsay as a walk-on to Wisconsin. Of those transfers, Utah, Iowa State, Central Florida, Pacific, UC Irvine, and UC Riverside all finished higher in Ken Palm than UNLV last season, and I spent a good portion of my day yesterday arguing with UNLV fans about what is a step up or step down from UNLV, and unsurprisingly, handful of UNLV fans think way too highly of UNLV basketball. Yeah, I, I saw some of that back and forth, and that, you know, it's just the it's the fans' perception of what isn't reality, right? Perception is reality. Well, this perception is not reality because they haven't been any good. And other programs here, I think people are surprised when they look at Ken Palm and ratings, what other programs are just by the name on the jersey. I'm glad you did this. I had not heard Moses Wood to Portland. Um, I, I was wondering about Moses Wood, actually, the whole time. I'm like, what happened to that guy? But, it, you know, as you said, he's ended up at Portland. But, yeah, a lot of those schools have just been better programs of late. It doesn't mean they have the history. It doesn't mean they have the national championship, which is what UNLV fans still tend to live in that existence, a lot of them. Uh, but most of these kids, at least for current rankings, have taken steps up. Now, one or two or three years from now, that might not be true because Kevin Kruger might turn things and they might be fine. Ken Palm, they might be going to the NCAA tournaments. But in the moment, most of these kids went to schools that have been better in basketball than UNLV of late. So when I tweeted yesterday about UC Riverside and UC Irvine and Pacific being higher ranked than UNLV and Ken Palm, yeah, I'm just trying to annoy UNLV fans a little bit with that because I think it's pretty obvious UNLV, even if they had a worse season last year than those three schools, it's a better program than those three well, schools. Well, yeah, overall program, it's a better right. program. Yeah, I'm just saying kind of what they've done in yeah. the moment of Ken Palm. What I was, what I could not believe, though, like I expect people to argue with me that Riverside or Irvine are, better, are, are worse than UNLV. What I couldn't believe is that multiple UNLV fans were arguing that Iowa State was not a step up from UNLV. I know Iowa State won two basketball games last year, but they're still in a power conference, and every single power conference basketball team is better than a middle of the pack Mountain West basketball program. Yes. Which is what UNLV is. Don't, don't like eight straight years of no NCAA tournament, eight straight years of not even being on the bubble or the NIT or anything, eight straight years of being a middle of the pack yeah. Mountain West team. I was, I was shocked that even UNLV fans would try really? to argue that Iowa State was somehow worse than UNLV. I'm surprised you were shocked, but I, I just thought you're exactly uh, right. They're in the Big Twelve. All you have to say, all you have to say is on that argument is they're in the Big Twelve, and you can stop the argument there. <laughs> Sorry, they're in the Big Twelve. I just assumed I, I, UNLV just fans knew that that they're in the Big Twelve. There's a reason Otzelberger left. It's because yeah. Iowa State's better than UNLV. They're paying them more. I mean, look, if if you're if you're Gonzaga, that's fine. If you're one of these teams in the mid-major level who goes to the tournament every year and they're really really good, that's fine. But for the most part, if you're a middling Mountain West team, like you said, there's no one in the Big 12 you're better than. It's just you're not. Now, again, they're mid-major. There's, you know, mid-major teams better than Iowa State. I get that. They won two games. But the overall finances, support, conference, anything you want to say that kind of separates leagues from leagues, you're better if you're in the Big 12 right now. Iowa State won two games last year and still had a better Ken Palm ranking than UNLV, and that's yeah, because who they played. That's the perfect yeah. example of why they're they're better off, even when yeah. they're bad. Iowa State doesn't have to be good to make the NCAA tournament. Iowa State just has to be a 500 Big 12 team, and they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Yes. Whereas UNLV, you've got to be the best team in this conference 
to have a shot in making the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. So, like, that's a perfect example is why Iowa State's a better program. And I would, I, listen, maybe I shouldn't have been. You're telling me I shouldn't have been. But I was still stunned that there were enough people to argue with me that, nope, Iowa State's worse than UNLV. Caleb Grill took a step down by going to a power conference. Like, no. no. You, you shouldn't have been because you know the fan base. Now, the real question for UNLV, or the important question for UNLV, it doesn't ultimately matter where guys went, what's a step up, what's a step down. Is the roster better than what they had last season? Did Kevin Kruger put together a better roster than they had? And I think he did. Like, I I think the biggest thing that we're going to see is more athleticism, which just in itself is going to lead to a better defensive team next year. And they were awful defensively. It was the second worst defensive season in the last 20 years of UNLV basketball. So, Are they going to be better next year? I think they will be better defensively. The big question is going to be, what does Kevin Kruger get out of this team offensively? Because they don't really have a lot of shooting. Like They don't really have a bunch of guys, and you could say, oh, yeah, they've got great shooting. So what do they get offensively out of this team is going to determine whether or not they're truly a top four Mountain West team or if they're kind of in the same boat where, okay, you're better defensively, but you're still only the sixth best team in this conference. Well, again, I'll I'll trust uh, you on this. You've done a lot more research on these kids than I have. I have no idea. When you get this many new kids, I mean, we know what Hamilton is as a Mountain West player, but all these other kids, I, I'll just have to wait and see. I'll trust you. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what they're like. I, I've seen what you've written and Mike's written and, and Sam's written, and offensively I think there's questions. They supposedly would be better defensively. They can't be much worse, so I'm sure they're going to have a step up defensively. But I'm just going to have to wait and see. That's a lot of new guys. I saw some pictures yesterday, their first practice, that he was out there with them. But that's a lot of new guys to, in my mind, in June, in, in just for me to be able to say they're going to be better. I, I have no idea. We've never seen Kevin Kruger as a head coach. Right. That, We've never seen him draw a play up in a timeout and come out of a timeout. What is he going to do? I think, Which makes it, by the way, it makes it kind of exciting to see what they're going to be. I mean, I don't know if I've looked forward to a UNLV basketball season as much as I am now just to see what they look like, just to see what kind of coach he is. I think we have I think we knew going into the last few seasons kind of what they were going to be. Yeah, and that's the, 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 the new coach part and the never have been a head coach part is, is even more fascinating because if they had this much roster turnover and Otzelberger was back, we knew what defense, what offense Otzelberger yes. wanted to run, and we could say, all right, this is how this guy likely fits into the offense. Yes. With Kevin Kruger, we we don't really know what kind of offense no. he's going to run. It's like with the Bryce Hamilton question, with him coming back, is it Bryce Hamilton's offense? Like, Are they going to turn it over to Hamilton, or, or is it going to be something else, and do we know how Hamilton fits in whatever Kevin Kruger wants to do? We don't know. Even with the guy we know the most about, we still don't really know what Kruger wants to do with him or how that offense is going to look. So it's that's the other fascinating part of it. And listen, I like that you're excited about it. I'm curious, is that going to last more than a game? Like they play the first game of the season and lose by 10? Are you done with that fascination? Yeah, it might be 50-50. No, I, I mean, no, it's going to take more than one game. I like Kevin a lot. I covered Kevin when he was played under Lon. And Kevin's a really good guy. I hope he succeeds. I do, because I really like Kevin. But I have no idea. I I, I just don't, I, I'm I'm excited to see him. I mean, I covered his dad, who I think is one of the you know the best college coaches ever. Uh, I'm sure he learned a ton from his dad. But it's different, man. It's different. It's you know you talk about cliches in sports. You move over one chair, it's a lot different of what your what your responsibilities are. So I'm kind of excited for Kevin, and I'm excited to see his team because there's so many new faces. You kind of watch it, you know, see a team develop and a program develop under him. Uh, but well, just have to wait and see. 
going to be fun. We're a long. Yeah, it is. It's going to be fun. I mean, it, aren't you like more interested now than had it just been like what we saw the last several years? I mean, I'm more interested in it now. Yeah, I mean, more intrigued just because more intrigued. The, the the unknown. Yeah. You can you can create your own potential from the unknown. Yeah, and with basically a whole new roster and a new coach, you can go any direction you want with your imagination. Whereas when what you when you've seen guys struggle. You're going to say, oh, yeah, they're likely to struggle. But we haven't seen any of these guys struggle before. No. But are any of them shooters? Like like two or three. Do you think he has enough shooters? I still don't think he has enough shooters. No, I don't. Do he we added, need to bring him on and let added, him know? I should. He added that 7-1 guy from Pacific who's who's never shot a three in his career. And it's like, oh. Should have gotten a shooter instead. What it's one. Of, it's one of the. It's one of the good drops that we've had. Do you enough? <laughs> do you have enough shooters? Well, obviously you don't think I do. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Andy Larson joins us from the Salt Lake Tribune to talk about the Jazz and the NBA playoffs. Joining us now from the Salt Lake Tribune is Andy Larson. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? We're good. Uh, so. Do you think the Jazz should be favored to win this series over the Clippers? I think it's really, really close. And look, I, you know, from the odds I've seen, they are slightly favored, you know, but like, I, I and I, you know, I think they deserve some of that just because of what they did in the regular season. They're, they're tremendously talented. You know, I think Donovan Mitchell has, has risen his game a level. Um, but I, I do think that the Clippers present some really tough matchup issues for the Jazz and in particular, their ability to go small and switch every screen and, uh, it, you know, I think they, they use that look a, a lot against the Dallas Mavericks. I think they're going to use it a lot against the Jazz. And the Jazz have traditionally struggled with that matchup in the playoffs in years past. Now, I do think this is a new and improved Jazz team with way more talent than they've had in years past. And so, uh, you know, I think there is a really good argument that the Jazz kind of have the depth in this series that, you know, they are well-rested where the Clippers are coming in tired after what happened in, in a seven-game series against Mavericks and so on. But uh, I, I think it's a fascinating battle, to be sure. Yeah. Tell me if you think this means anything at all. Um, you know, all year it's the Lakers. It's the, now it's the Clippers. It's, it's uh, you know, LeBron. It's Kawhi, all of that. And yet here's Utah's the one seed in the West, and, and they had the best record. How much, if at all, does kind of that chip in the shoulder mean anything to them? Like, okay, no one's really believed in Utah, maybe except the people who see them on a nightly basis, and we're going to prove something. Yeah, no, I think I think they do want to prove that. You know, I think they want to show that, hey, these last few years of, you know, playoff disappointments is, is a little bit strong. I mean, I understand they were up 3-1 against the Nuggets. They weren't favored in that series as a sixth seed, but um, clearly they they have some scars from that and want to show that they can move on and, and move past, you know, quality opponents. Um, you know, I, I think that they, they do feel some of that, uh, you know, basically that that underdog status, even if they're not the underdogs, because they are kind of overlooked when compared to the Clippers and Lakers, the, the L.A. teams and, you know, kind of the big market teams in, in this league as real contenders. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of one of the things where they have to prove it, prove that, prove the haters wrong before they, they get kind of real, um, you know, real bona fides from the national audience, because, you know, there have been, the last three years, they didn't make it out of the first round, you know? So um, that that was the reality. And, and beating a Memphis Grizzlies team didn't do much to change that perception. So I think it, it does come down to, can you do it against the best teams when it matters most in the playoffs? And that's where we're about to find out. So you mentioned the Clippers and their ability to play small and obviously a contrast 
to Rudy Gobert with the Jazz. So I'm curious, in the big picture, how important is this series in particular to Rudy Gobert, to the Jazz, with his contract extension that was before the season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, as you point out, he's got the contract extension, so he's kind of locked in either way. But I think what it does is kind of, you know, what kind of what kind of star is Gobert, and is he just the star that helps you in the playoffs or in the regular season? And as you know, I, he's going to win his third Defensive Player of the Year award, or is he the kind of guy that can make a big difference in in all different kinds of playoff series? And you know, he made a difference certainly against the Grizzlies, the Jazz. Uh, outscored the Grizzlies by 59 points when he was out there on the floor. They got outscored when he was off. Um, so, you know, clearly makes a big difference to this Jazz team when, when they're playing certain kinds of opponents. Now, it's, can, they, can he make a big difference uh, against all kinds of defenses, all kinds of offenses, and, and you know, when teams kind of bring him out to the perimeter? I think that's a real question. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Mavericks use Bo- Boban Marjanovic to, to kind of try to punish that small defense a little bit by uh, getting offensive rebounds and putbacks, and, and Boban did a decent job at that. Um, Rudy will need to do better. You know, Rudy will need to move move on the defensive end. We'll need to get those offensive rebounds, get those putbacks, and, and try to punish that small lineup. If he's able to, um, you know, then I think you, we we start talking about Rudy as a you know le- legit star who who makes a difference in the playoffs and kind of the, the the haters go away a little bit because um, you know that you know he, he can prove himself against the best opposition. Um, you know, and if he can't, then it then I think you have kind of questions about how you know how his career will develop moving forward. He's already 28, kind of at the, the peak of his what should be the peak of his career, and and then you know what do the next five years look like with that 200 million dollar contract? I mean, it's very simplistic here, but they are one of the better defensive teams in the league, uh, best net rating in defense. People don't shoot free throws against them a lot, but we know what the Clippers do. As you said, they go small, and if you saw the Game 7 against the Mavericks, when they start making shots, it's a danger for the other team. I mean, does this just come down to that? If they make shots, the, the Clippers are going to uh, advance here, and if they don't, and if the Utah can do what they've done all year and limit three-pointers, they've got a much better chance? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And then I think you have to go look at the three-pointers on the other end, too, right? Like, the Jazz have made more threes than anybody else in NBA history while the Clippers shot the best percentage in NBA history, you know? So right. we're, we're talking about two very good three-point shooting teams. The Jazz shoot more. The Clippers are a slightly better, at, you know, percentage-wise shooting team. And so I, I do think, you know, some number of games in the series are just going to come down to who makes their three-point shots, you know? And uh, I, I think that... That's kind of what happens in nearly every series. I mean, that certainly happened in, in the first series with the Clippers and Mavs, where the Mavs come out just shooting absolutely on fire shots over 50% in their first two games and won the first two games as a result, right? Uh, if that happens, if the Jazz shoot 50% in that game, in these games, you know, I think they're going to win whatever game they, they can do that in. If they start getting cold, the Clippers get hot, and or, you know, then obviously they're going to be in trouble. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that because these teams take so many threes, because their offenses are so good at generating these open looks for everyone on the court, everyone on the court can hit a three. You know, I think it's going to be, um, it, it, it is going to be a kind of a three-point matchup that's kind of largely determined by that kind of shot luck, if you will. All right, which team is most likely to pull a Houston Rockets and go 0 for 27 in a game from three? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think given... I don't know. Both of these teams have shown kind of an ability to go cold when it matters most, right? I mean, obviously, you look at what happened with the Clippers last year, and 
losing after getting the 3-1 lead in the series, they can miss some shots sometimes, you know. But I've also seen the Jazz uh, do that, especially in the playoffs against the, the Houston Rockets two years ago. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, when you have Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovich shooting those, it's a lot different than when you have uh, Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder shooting those open shots, right? <laughs> so I, I, I guess I might say maybe I'm a little bit more confident in the Jazz hitting those shots. You know, they, they didn't shoot under 25% from three ever in this season, you know, so there there at least has been that baseline. So uh, 0 for 27, I, I think, seems out of the out of the range of possibility, but... That's probably what Houston fans said, you know, four <laughs> years ago against the Warriors, too, right? Uh, one ask: the, the Jazz won the season series two one. I, I don't think Kawhi and Paul played in one of those games when they were totally healthy. I think that's the one the Clippers won. Uh, you saw in Game Six and Seven. What do you? What do they do with Kawhi Leonard? What do the Jazz do in defending him? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's. I think it's going to be Royce O'Neal to start on him, even though he's only six. He actually does a really good job at, at guarding these kind of bigger wings um, and, and kind of preventing them from getting the, the three-point looks they like. We'll see how that works out. You know, I, I, I don't think Royce is uh, an amazing defender, but I think he's, he's pretty good and is, is kind of good at kind of navigating those screens and, and staying in front of those bigger guys. And so that's kind of, kind of going to be the answer individually. And then it's kind of whether or not the – can force switches and you know in that case do you see Kawhi Leonard being guarded by Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley or uh, Bojan Bogdanovic or you know kind of which matchup do the Clippers want to seek out I'll also say that uh, Kawhi Leonard going off of pick and rolls is going to be a big deal in the Jazz stopping that obviously excellent mid-range shot of his you know he made 62 percent of his mid-range jump shots uh, in in the first round so what what the Jazz will have to do is have Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors high at the point of the screen there to prevent that shot, and then they've got to recover down low to prevent any rolling or, or uh, you know, obviously Kawhi getting layups or just beating those guys too. So I think the Jazz are going to have to help more than they're used to in this series. And, uh, you know, usually their defense is just so kind of strong at, again, keeping guys staying out of rotation essentially and, and keeping three-point shooters covered while they are, are able to guard pick-and-roll two-on-two. Um, you know, I think they certainly hope they can do that in the series, but I could see Kawhi kind of breaking that down, and then they need to help and rotate in, in ways maybe they're not used to. Um, but nevertheless, I think, you know, uh, they're relatively well-equipped to deal with this Kawhi problem, despite, and I could still see Kawhi scoring 40 in some of these games just because he's Kawhi Leonard, and that's what he does in the NBA playoffs. Uh, Andy, we see quite often in the NBA really good teams, really good players, never win anything because they run into, you know, Michael Jordan stretch or the Kobe and Shaq Lakers or the Spurs or LeBron or whatever it is. Does it feel like the Jazz had the perfect timing to have their one seed in the West season when LeBron's out now because of injuries and the Warriors didn't even make it into the final eight because of injuries? Yeah, you know, you don't have to tell me, someone who grew up with the Stockton and Malone Jazz, about <laughs> running into uh, Michael Jordan and, you know, the star player and, and not being able to get over that hump, right? Like that, that defined and maybe ruined my childhood. But uh, <laughs> I'll say that, you know, I, I agree. I think this is a, if the Jazz are going to win it, this is a really good year to do it. I mean, I think maybe you look at Brooklyn as say maybe that is a, a team with enough star power and the way that they just dismantled the Bucks last night. Maybe that is a not the, a sleeping giant uh, that that we haven't uh, got to see all year long because you know one or two of those big three were out all year, right? Uh, 
but I do think that if you look at kind of the timing, the Jazz should be able to, you know, if, if they are as good as they want to be, this should be the year that they get to the NBA Finals at least. And and in particular, you look at the just the contracts of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Those guys signed long-term extensions with the Jazz, so they'll have plenty of time to kind of try again if this year it doesn't work out. But they're never going to have Donovan Mitchell on a $6 million a year contract again. They're never going to be able to pay Rudy Gobert just $25 million again. You know, now he's at that 30 35% of the cap. And so what that means is they're never going to have all this extra money that they can use to pay guys like Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovic, Joe Ingles, and Jordan Clarkson these uh, $8 million per or eight-figure-per-year contracts that they've been able to, to, to round Donovan and Rudy with with this really good supporting cast. You know, it, they won't have necessarily all that money to do that in the future again. And so this is a, a relatively stacked and deep roster for, you know, uh, to, uh, as a playoff team goes because they were able to save money on those two stars' salaries. And now that kind of changes next year, and, and it will be really interesting to see to what extent they're able to kind of bring in good, useful help to those two-star players with two-star salaries. Well, he is Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. Andy, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Andy. I am uh, fascinated by the, by the timing of things because the West is open this year. And like two teams to compare are the Nuggets and the Jazz because the Jazz get the one seed. They hit it perfectly. The Nuggets had a great season, and they could have been one of the top two seeds as well, but then Jamal Murray got hurt. Like, it was brutal for the Nuggets because they'd be in the same position as the Jazz. It's like, oh, like, the LeBron's not here anymore. The Warriors aren't a super team right now. The West is as wide open as it's ever been. Like, this is the year a team like the Jazz or the Nuggets or the Suns could do it, and one of them probably is, but for the Nuggets, you lose one of your best players, your second best player, right before the playoffs, and it's kind of brutal. So, like, I, I don't know. I'm fascinated by the timing of things because we have seen Jordan or Kobe and Shaq or the Spurs or LeBron just like there are other good teams, but they just can't get past the best player or the best team in the league that sort of dominate for five years at a time. What's your pick? I'm going to say Clippers and six. I'll take the Jazz. I think the Jazz win it. I'll, I'll take them in right. six as well. Okay. Jazz in seven. Okay. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to pick like a tie or something? I don't know how that works yeah. in basketball. You can you can pick the Raiders they, to go. They introduced the Elam ending. <laughs> Wait a minute, our sharp just added it as a parlay. Oh god. He's taking the jazz on the money line tonight. So yeah, I I think the Jazz are better. I but I don't know. The Clippers have the best player in Kawhi, and that a lot of times wins playoff series in basketball, but I, I do think the Jazz are the better team. And so I'll pick the Jazz until Kawhi has four games where he goes for 42 points. And it's like, yeah, nice little defense you got there, Utah. Yeah. Eh, doesn't matter anymore. So and you should also feel bad. because I should feel bad, I mean, because I'm picking the team with the true center in Rudy Gobert. Disaster by me. <laughs> At least they should have like threes. Yeah, and uh, it must, it, must, it must also tell you that Kawhi was over 60% on mid-range jumpers. Well, okay. Hold on, but aren't we also do a playoff P game? A good one or a bad one? No, like a, a good one or a bad one. No, like aren't we do like a Paul George with one for yes. forty seven? No, you, we yes, got to wait yes. till game six or game seven yes. when they're facing yes. elimination. Yes, we are due for Paul George to do that. Um, but yeah, no. See, okay, Kawhi Leonard mid range jumpers are only slightly annoying to me because he's. He's really good at them. Like yeah. he's one of the players that sh- him and like Kevin Durant are the two guys that shoot them at a high enough percentage that you're like, okay, 
It's still not ideal, but it's not awful. Like, you're okay with it. Dwayne Wade. Oh, that was all he did. Yes, I know, but he was efficient <laughs> at it. Yeah. I was like, what did Dwayne Wade shoot from three in his career? Like, like uh, Dwayne well, Wade's like... The, the nine times he shot yeah. from three, he made three of them. Like, Dwayne Wade's one of the players that you could actually be like, all right, he actually can't shoot threes. For whatever reason, his <laughs> range stops at 18 <laughs> feet. feet. Like, he's, he's fine, and like, he's a good mid-range shooter, but... He can but, get to the rim. Right. Until he got old. Yeah. But 18 feet is his range. He's one of the players you'd be like, yep, just no, yeah, we know. The math says you shoot the three, but not you. You just can't do it from there. Don't do it anymore. All right. Coming up next. I got no idea what's coming up next. We find out how Ed's hotel room is. But first, (laughs) we have tickets to give away to Guns N' Roses at Allegiant Stadium coming up uh, in a couple of months. What month? August 27th. There it is. August 27th at Allegiant Stadium, Guns N' Roses. Two tickets to give away. We're going to take caller number 11 at 702-364-1100 if you want to see Guns N' Roses on August 27th. 702-364-1100, caller number 11. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Two and two, hit in the air to right field, pretty well struck. Right, going back towards the corner, at the wall, looking up, gonna go! Manny Machado with a home run, his eighth of the year. And the Padres lead is three here in the eighth. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, the Padres. Who doesn't love a good Padre highlight? Um, Ed, you know, if the playoffs started today, the Dodgers would be in the wild card round against the Padres. I know. I know. Oh, I know. I know. I know it well. Uh, Padre, Padres obviously lucking out again last night. Rizzo, dropped, much. they pull an Astros. Rizzo comes in like a nut job, drops an easy pop fly. Next pitch, Machado, Oppo, home run. Of course. They're getting, like, these, they're getting these kind of breaks already this year. So... Do you know how much I want a one-game oh. wild card game oh. of the Padres God. and Dodgers? You is couldn't it, handle a, a three-game series with the Brewers no. last year. Is I it, mean, if it's one game, the good part, if it's one game in San Diego, 90% of fans will be Dodger fans. So that'll actually work out I'll be on the, the concourse. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I oh, I know the standings uh, very well, and I know what would happen if it ended today. The good part is there's two-thirds of a season left. Oh, you missed you miss yeah, the 60 you'll, game you'll season, don't back. you? He'll get his foot fully healed. <laughs> yeah, Bellinger <laughs> yes. will be good to go. Um, are the Giants actually good? I'm starting to believe they are. I didn't think it was. I, I couldn't believe. I can't believe Posey. I mean, Posey sat out because of COVID. Now he's coming back with a career year. I'm kind of starting to believe they are. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I keep waiting for him to lose, and every time I hit refresh on my ESPN button on the phone, they're winning games. They're gonna bring back Tim Lincecum or something. I, Didn't we make I mean, fun of them in the preseason? And somebody like t- uh, tweeted at us about like, hey, now their pitching's good, their offense is what's terrible, or something. Like we were wrong about something, and they were like, they suck, but get be right about what they suck about. Well. I don't know what they suck at. They're in first place, and they're like 15 games over 500. So we must have been wrong. Yeah, I probably were. I don't know. We've got 30 seconds left. So, Tyler, please congratulate the person that won tickets. Oh, who won? I forgot their name. Eric, congratulations, Eric. Eric. You won tickets to go see Guns N' Roses at Allegiant Stadium coming up August 27th. For the rest of you, tickets go on sale uh, through Ticketmaster on June 12th at 10 a.m., 
Uh, here is the Giants' top three in their batting order the last game. Lamont Wade, Buster Posey, Alex Dickerson. Who the hell's that? 